Welcome to Invest in Women, the podcast series. Your insight into the growing wealth of women and the issues that impact their business and yours. See what happens when you educate, empower, and invest in women. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the Invest in Women podcast series and to advocate on the industry's behalf to attract new, diverse talent. Schwab Advisor Services is passionate about supporting independent registered investment advisors with the insights and strategies needed to grow their business. Explore your path to independence at advisorservices.schwab.com. All right. Michelle Cooper is joining us today. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you because I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that when people think of estate planning, they think they have to have a mansion, a castle. People don't, people don't assume they own an estate. Am I correct in that for most people? You are correct. And before I launch in, Melissa, it's wonderful to be here talking to you. Thank you for having me. So, you know, when you say the word estate, yes, people automatically think of multimillionaire, you have to have significant assets to have a tax plan or an estate plan. But the answer is really, if you have children that are under the age of 18, you absolutely need a will. And if you have assets that you would like to determine who they go to, you need a will. That's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Now we'll get into the transitions that most women go through. Most clients, I mean, we're not excluding men, but we know that a lot of this podcast is geared toward women and we invite anybody to listen. But let's say your life is perfect. Like there's no changes that you have lived with the same person and, and had the same properties and everything is going smoothly. To your point, these pa- this paperwork of this estate stuff needs to be in place. So explain for people who don't understand the difference between a will and an estate plan, because they've heard both terminologies, what is the difference? Sure. So an estate plan is really a catch-all term that attorneys or financial advisors use. And it's if you think of a basket that's an estate plan, it holds certain documents. It's definitely going to have a will which is your intentions on how you want to leave property to your loved ones or friends or charity. There's also powers of attorney that are in that bucket. That would be a healthcare power of attorney and a financial durable power of attorney. And then there's also a living will, which is basically if you want to be connected, if you're in an end vegetated state or pull the plug. And then the other piece that might be in that bucket is a trust. And most people are familiar with the term revocable living trust. So there's a difference between just the word will, which everybody needs, or an estate plan, which is a plan around what you own, what your intentions are, what stage of life you're in, and taxes and that kind of thing. It's a a plan just like you'd plan a trip. Mm -hmm. Which most people probably spend more time planning that trip than they do. (laughs) Because they (laughs) want to. (laughs) Exactly. So I know, you know, with Financial Advisor Magazine, obviously a lot of financial advisors listen to the show. And you think that financial advisors utilize the estate planning tool as much as they should or could? Or do you, you know, what is some advice to other advisors on what mistakes they may be making that they shouldn't? Yeah, well, you know, there's all kinds of financial advisors and some financial advisors are practicing attorneys or have... uh, had a lot of experience in the legal profession. So I'm not going to give you a cross the board answer, but 
having worked in my past life with 650 financial advisors and being one myself, <laughs> I know that there's you know all different flavors of financial advisors. And so I would say that a majority have enough knowledge to be dangerous. But when it comes to getting into the nitty gritty of what does a document really say, that's where sometimes they might turn to an attorney friend or you know, read it a few times. And I think that what financial advisors could do to their advantage that possibly they're not doing right now is just taking a look at the date on the documents, who is named as either the executor or executrix, what's going to happen when your client passes away? Are those assets going to another firm? Is it another corporate institution named as executor? Uh, do you like the person? Do you know the person? And also reading who is inheriting, because you want to have a relationship with both the power holder in the document and also who is inheriting that. So I always request the most recent documents from prospects or clients, because that is a leg up, a way for people to be interested in what you have to say other than talking about the market and investments. And it's really a, a huge opportunity, I think, to bring in new business. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's great advice. I, you know, again, it's not a fun topic for a lot of people to talk about, like a vacation, like we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, but it becomes even more vitally important when changes happen. So I am in my 50s. And I can count on probably two hands in the past five years, the divorces, the separations that my friends and people I know have been through. So I I don't know if it's still 50% on and off, but let's talk divorces really quickly because that can really impact everything you just talked about and it should be looked at. Yeah, definitely divorce is a life transition, whether you're in the process of getting separated or you've met with attorneys, looking at what your documents say is very, very important. As as an advisor, I work with a lot of women that are in the separation process. They might not be divorced yet. And so I'm looking for uh, not only do you have a will, but what do your beneficiary designations say? So if you have life insurance, are you going to be leaving it to this person that you don't want to be with anymore? If you have a policy through work, Let's take a look at that. If you have beneficiary designations on your retirement accounts, your IRA, your 401k, your 403b, your 457, let's see who's on there. And if it's your soon-to-be ex-spouse, let's think about who the contingent beneficiaries are. And if they're young children, do we need to protect those assets in some form of trust or uh, a way to prolong them, you know, taking all of that money out of that tax sheltered bucket all at once. And so divorce is just a really good opportunity to talk to people about, you know, now that you're in a different stage here, how do you want to leave your assets? Let's look at what you have currently. And let's put that on our to-do list after we get through a whole bunch of other stuff uh, with moving your assets and looking at your divorce agreement and that kind of thing. You know, Michelle, well, I I, sometimes I I talk about how financial advisors end up being therapists as well. Like you should (laughs) charge a therapy bill because I'm assuming that the worst part of a divorce is having to 
logically and intellectually go through all those steps when you are emotionally traumatized. And so you have to be that rock, I'm assuming, for your clients to make sure all those things get done. Because I, you know, do they do they just don't want to deal with it? Or do you think people assume that changes when they get divorced without them having to do anything? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, people have only so much bandwidth. And when you're going through a divorce, you're not really thinking about your estate planning documents. And so I absolutely love being in the position that I'm in because to me, a divorce is the beginning of a new chapter. I'm in my second marriage. I have stepchildren. I have a blended family. And so I really speak from the heart to women that are going through this you know, life transition because it's an opportunity to start fresh. So yes, we got to update your will, update your beneficiary designations, but let's think of an exciting new life. Maybe you're going to find someone to hang with and travel with and do fun things with. And what does that look like from a financial perspective? It might mean a prenup that you have to start thinking about. It might be stepkids that are in the picture. And how does that change your estate plan? So there's you know different conversations that branch from a separation or a divorce but each of them is equally as important. And if you can have a positive spin and excitement into this new phase, I think people look at an estate plan as a necessary item on their to-do list and not necessarily something that's sad or negative. Mm -hmm. Now you mentioned, you know, your personal life, you have some empathy for those clients because you've been through it and you you know, had a happy ending from it. There's great things that happen from it. When it comes to being a woman in this industry too, yeah, um, is there anything unique you think that you bring to the table or, you know, some of your professional experience that brings more empathy to clients that you have? Yeah, well, uh, I wrote a book and the book is all about the journey that I had. I worked uh, for many years at Merrill Lynch and worked with financial advisors and the estate planning realm and also clients. And when I was 36, all of a uh, sudden, my husband passed away tragically. He committed suicide. And lo and behold, I was there with my two-year-old twins. And so that was a real difficult time in my life. And I look back at that and all the things that I did before to create financial security should something like that happen. And I'm so thankful. And then I want to pay that forward and make sure that women, even if they're married, happily married, they know what they own and how it's titled and uh, have the pieces in place should something happen. So that life experience, Melissa, has really shaped how I uh, talk to women, no matter Mm -hmm. what age they are, if they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s on up. Well, first of all, go ahead and plug your book so that people uh, will buy the book because that's a fa- it is a tragic yet inspiring story that you have. It's called I've Still Got Me, A Widow's Journey to Financial Happiness and Independence. And it's available on Amazon and a lot of other uh, online booksellers and in some uh, smaller bookstores. Mm-hmm. So I encourage, you know, everyone on the call, take a peek at the book and it's a quick read and from the heart with lots of good tips in it. Oh, I love it. Well, again, congratulations on the book and in using what you've been through to help others. And I think that for me as a woman, I can I I I came from parents who were financially self-sufficient both both my parents because my mother was in a u- unique position in her generation 
to have her mother be a business owner as well as her father. So she was empowered by money. Money was not intimidating to her. And, and fortunately, I don't have this, this weird feeling about money when I never assumed somebody else was going to take care of me. However, I see a lot of women who feel an intimidation to be on their own, not even thinking financially, just in the house alone. A lot of times I find that in my circles, there, there was such a mentality that seems to me a little dated of, okay, the man's going to, you know, I'm going to have a husband and then the husband will take care of these financial affairs and the husband will take care of any burglars that come in the house and, and has, you know, and all these things. So exactly what you were talking about and how helping women, it seems like there's a mentality that needs to be overcome of you can do it and it's okay for you. You're safe to be self-sufficient and then that that will bloom into their financial portfolios. But do you agree that that you know women still have this mental idea that they shouldn't be on their own or shouldn't take care of themselves? A hundred percent. If you read current studies from all the large banks that have polled clients and done research, even millennials that they've polled still feel a lack women, a lack of confidence in investing, they feel their partner can take this on. And in you know, our generation, generations before that, maybe women weren't working in the corporate arena or in outside jobs, but they were made to feel that taking care of money is a man's job, child rearing and household management is a woman's job. And that's just the way it is. And so what ended up happening is women were so busy taking care of other things that they just didn't look under the covers and see what the heck was going on until their spouse passed away. And the statistics are 80 to 90% of us women are gonna be solely responsible for our financial lives at some point in our lives. And so the important thing is to do is to understand your financial details Mm -hmm. before a tragic event. And I definitely think that we can't say it enough as women advisors to whoever will listen to us that you have to look at this stuff. Even if you don't have the time, move this from the bottom of your to-do list to the top. It might not be the thing you want to do on a Saturday night, but you'll feel better (laughs) after you do it. Right. Well, and if you're with a trusted financial advisor too, you know, that can help any intimidation that you might have from not knowing for those who have not been exposed to money to know what to do. Uh, it's funny that you say that about manhandle the money. Cause I've always been fascinated that the things that are traditionally associated with women, like cooking, like cleaning, like all these things, when it becomes professional, then all of a sudden the men take over. So the biggest chefs are men, you know, all these, <laughs> and you know, the cleaning supply companies are run by men, you know, Kimberly Clark, which we all know what, all the women know what Kimberly Clark does, not to give them a plug, but what they make for us from puberty on, and it's run by men. And so that's what I was fascinating me is like, oh, you're, you will attach yourself to female things when it's time to make money off of it. But at home, you ha- you don't want to have anything to do with it. So it's a head scratcher. It really is. Yeah. Why that so. Is. Well, now going back to estate planning, and if someone is of an older age and they are wanting to take care of maybe their children, maybe their grandchildren, maybe they want to do college, maybe want to do all these things, that's something that can be part of this fun estate planning package instead of it being something like, oh, I don't want to think about the end of my life. It, it's There are so many things that you can do 
that I think when someone's older, they want to make it, you know, they want to make that final impact on their world. And that's something that you help them do. Yeah. And one thing I want to add, Melissa, is how to enter that conversation. Instead of saying to your client uh, or putting it on the agenda, let's talk about estate planning, talk about their lives, what their goals are, how they want to be remembered, what excites them when they get up in the morning, because you can really enter the estate planning conversation from the back door by just talking to people and finding out what makes them tick, what makes them smile, if they're philanthropic, what they do uh, day to day in terms of giving back to charity, and all of those bits and pieces in your conversation, you can put together and talk about estate planning documents. So it's really about what makes people happy in their lives that leads to a really good estate plan. Mm-hmm. And the taxes are only part of it. It's well, really <laughs> the people's fun intent. topic of taxes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and do you, is that what people associate with it? Is they just, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. Where again, like for me, I, when I had mine done and now I'm one of, I'm one of those people that didn't have one until my son was born. Right. And I didn't have my son until I was older. So I'm guilty of it too. I waited to my forties before I had an estate plan, but I just remember in the process of doing it, there was a lot of self-reflection because when it came to the custody of my son, it wasn't just the, the next person. It was the next person and the next person and the next person and the, like four deep, you know, on the bench who would be available uh, to take care of my son in case something happened to me, then the first choice, second choice. And, and that really brought a self-reflection of, wait a second, like, how do I want my life to be handled and how, who would raise my son the way I would raise my son. So I I felt that the estate planning process was very empowering for me. Mm-hmm. It, like you said, it makes you think of things that you may not have thought of, but then when you take control of it, there is a, a weight lifted. I mean, honestly, that's how it felt. A hundred percent. And I'm, you know, Melissa, I'm glad you brought up your son because there's a lot of us women in our fifties or sixties or late forties that, got an estate plan or had their will done when they first had their kids. And here we are, time flies and kids get older. And so you have to look at that document. My twins uh, are now 20 and they're different than when they were born and they have personalities and strengths and weaknesses and I know them a lot more. So I have to go back to my trust and my will and put restrictions maybe on how they inherit money until a certain age. So you have to remember with your clients that have kids that are older and potentially grandkids, that's a great time to really talk about what is in the terms of their documents and update that. Mm -hmm. And it does give you really, really nice confidence when you cross that off the list, especially uh, for families that have children with special needs or disabilities, huge weight lifted. Oh, I bet. Trust or, you know, a specific trust designed to protect assets if they're getting state funding or federal funding. So, you know, have that in the back of your mind as advisors that not all kids are going to have the same wherewithal to be able to inherit money. Boy, isn't that the truth? There's, a, you know, <laughs> everybody look at your own family. You can yeah. pick out the person that needs the restrictions, right? Yeah. Uh, so- <laughs> So Michelle, we are out of time. I thank you so much for being a part of this. Is there anything, uh, you know, anything that we haven't covered that you would like to inform not only advisors, but also clients as well? Yeah, I think we covered a lot of different aspects. I would just, again, for advisors listening to this podcast, 
think about your own clients and the different things that happen in life transitions, whether it's birth, adoption, death, divorce, widowhood, those are all times when you need to review and talk to your clients about their estate plan. Awesome. Michelle Cooper, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for listening to Invest in Women, the podcast series. Your insight into the growing wealth of women and how to attract and retain your female clients and help scale your practice. Learn more by subscribing to this podcast or visiting fa-mag.com.